0: Theology without doxology, you just have dead, cold orthodoxy, which is horrible, right? On the other side, you have the people who say, ah, forget about theology, I just want to praise, right? But if you have doxology without theology, you actually have idolatry. I was enjoying that. I said, somebody's going to be turning off the lights and they're going to move that pulpit up here. And I was just enjoying all that's going on back there. Uh, You know, this is not part of the sermon, but when you're talking about giving, we didn't get an allowance when we grew up, but every once in a while, my mom would give us a dime. Well, I say a dime. Uh, She would give us nine cents because she says this penny, the other penny belongs to the Lord. And that's what early we learned about tithing. And so when you said that, I thought, wow, I understand about training children. I never saw that other penny, so it didn't make a difference to me. Back early 60s, 10 cents was pretty big, you know. And uh, we learned a little something about that. We've been in Ephesians for some time now, and it's been shared a number of different times about the first three chapters deal with doctrine, the last three with duty. I like to look at it this way. The first three chapters deal with your position in Christ. What God has done for you to give you the position that you have. And the last four is your practice. Put into practice now what God's given you as a position. And um, I, was, I was thinking this morning, just listening to this song, by the way, that was a beautiful song, the last song. I don't know what it was, but it was gorgeous. It had so many things in it and uh, so many things that relate to the message. So somebody followed the message today because they really did a great job on it. Amazing Grace has a second line that says, it's grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Because when you come to Christ and you're walking with him, many times it's like, oh, man, am I going to step out on that? Am I going to walk in faith? Am I going to do this? Mm." But in this grace that relieves all that, if I just trust him and step out, God will do the rest. Love that line in that. Okay. That's not part of the sermon today, but nevertheless, Uh, we've been talking about, uh, walking worthy today. We're going to talk about, well, the title of the message is this. Don't let your fruit rot. (laughs) By the way, my son came up with that title and my wife added a few points in here. So, uh, it's a Combination of a little bit of everything, but I remember just uh, what well, was a few years ago now. I was driving on the freeway. We were going with a guy named Bill. Now was going up to uh, Redding, California. We we're going to this conference, and there was a big—I tr- mean, big wreck. So he uh, <laughs> was able to fang and his way and get off the freeway and go on, on the side road that's parallel to the freeway. And we went up—I don't know how many miles—but we came to this. Um, um, nectarine orchard and they had already picked the fruit, but they had left, seemed like hundreds of fruit on the ground. And these things were huge. I mean, I don't know where they sell them, but I don't find any like that. they are just big things like that. And I looked at all those and I go, oh my goodness. A lot of them, you had a little deviation in you a little speck or something and then they slept left it. And there were just hundreds all over the ground, so we picked about 40 and 50 of them, and took them up to this campus. And uh, the next day for lunch, we we gave a a number of those, and people cut it up, and man, they they loved it. And I think every time I think about going up north and going by that fruit place, I think, wow. Man, I love nectarines. Well, can you imagine if you had this huge orchard of nectarines and there was a 10-foot electric fence around it, and nobody could get into it, and you watched this luscious fruit hanging on the tree, rotting on the tree and falling to the ground, and nobody got to partake in it. What a waste that would be. Well, God gives spiritual gifts to bless and to unify his body for the efficiency in building up the body of Christ In reaching and growing people for him. Now, next week, we're going to be looking at the foundational uh, gifts. But spiritual giftedness is clearly important to the understanding of the Christian life. You can look at Romans 12 and that entire chapter is just wonderful, talking about great things and what we're supposed to be doing and gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, those three chapters deal with spiritual gifts and how we're to apply those. Well, the verse today we're looking at, or the verses today we're looking at, Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. And it starts out this way in Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Well, everybody receives spiritual gifts when they come to Christ. The Bible tells us this. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. So every gift that you have, God gave to you. There isn't a gift that you have that didn't come from Him. In fact, there isn't anything that you have that didn't come from Him. The Bible tells us that the the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to Him, and all the gold and silver and everything in it—it all belongs to Him. We're the stewards of what God has given. We're blessed. Now the day's message is not about gifts, uh, what gifts are for today's church and uh, which should be used when, and what gifts are most important. Churches have split and fallen apart and ministries have crumbled because of the way people apply gifts. So we're not gonna be delving in that today, but I want you to look at three things with me and here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna share in the first point six things Then there's a little parenthesis, it seems like, that Paul gives us, a little, if you will, a little rabbit trail. Then we're going to come back to those same six principles, and I'll be through. Number one, gifted in unique ways. Verse seven says, but to each one of us, and he directs our attention, our thoughts towards unity, be reminding us there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. Unity, I mean, unity does not mean that we're all cut from the same cookie cutter. Unity is not the same as uniformity. And harmony is not monotony. At least it shouldn't be. In the examination of the church body, there's great diversity in unity with each person with his own unique giftedness, operation, operating under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to meet a common goal. In other words, God has given us all these gifts together, collectively in the body, that we might be a blessing to one another and thereby be effective in ministry to those who are on the outside. So this thing is that you and I have been given gifts according to the measure of God's goodness. Now is it true that some people get more gifts than others? Absolutely. Everybody gets gifts according to what God gives. Now, I love Second Corinthians, I mean, uh, Romans 2, 4. I came across it years ago, and I thought, wow, that's a beautiful verse. Has that been in there all the time? <laughs> have, you, have you ever done that? You, you read something, you go, gosh, that, that's been in there all the time, I never saw that? Sometimes we just forget. The older we get, some of you, I think, will agree with me, you just can't remember those things, and, and then you're reminded of it, and you go, oh, yeah, that's true. All men ought to come to repentance by the goodness or kindness of God. Just because God's incredibly good and because he's kind. We also know that we were called before the foundation of the world. You didn't get lucky. You didn't you just happen to be going to someplace that night and, and, and then maybe you went because there was a girl there or a guy there and, and so that you heard the message and you got saved. Excuse me. You got rescued from yourself. Amen. That makes more sense. Because let's be honest. We're our own worst enemy. You know, it's not my wife's fault, although I blame her a lot. (laughs) It's, It's us. Each person needs to come to that place where they evaluate. It's me. We've been saved by his death and his resurrection. And we are being saved every day by the Holy Spirit's work within us. Now, far too many Christians settle for the grace of salvation, saving grace, but yet fail to comprehend the grace of sanctification. In other words, enabling grace. As Christians, we receive Christ, so that positions us into him, but we often fail to accept or use his gifts to equip us to minister to to the body of Christ. In churches, you have different ethnic and cultural and social economic groups all over the place, but unified as we come together, God collectively works in us that we work might work for a common goal. I love what 1 Corinthians twelve uh, seven says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are vi- varieties of effects, but he's the same God who works all things in all persons until each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So whatever God's gift he has given to you it's not to be used for you, but to be a blessing to the church body. Augustine said this about grace. Grace is given not because we, we do good works, but in order that we may be able to do good works. That's a good thought, isn't it? He graces us to be able to do what he wants us to do. That's why we can say that God's in it from the very beginning and he's in it in the middle and he'll be in it all the way through because he's the one who gives good gifts and then he enables us to use the gift that he gave us. So we shouldn't be saying, "Well, look at me. My gift's better than yours and look at this. I can do this and I can do that. And you, if we got a gift that came from him, Amen? amen, we're blessed by him. Why? Because we're servants of God. I like what Chuck Swinnell wrote, he said, at servanthood. He said, my mental image of a servant was this pathetic creature, virtually without will or purpose in his life, bent over, crushed in spirit, lacking self-esteem, souled a wrinkle and weary. <laughs> he was sort of like a human mule who, was a, who would, with a sigh and a shuffle, trudges down a long row of life. Those of you who've seen the Harry Potter, one of their videos, Uh, you remember how Dobie was before he visualized the time he came to meet Harry Potter. Some of you recognize that this uh, character, Dobie, well, he was like that, this pathetic creature that just, ah, he sighed and he just, 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 he didn't have it. He goes on to say, don't ask me why, but that perception, every, this is perception I had of this person every time I heard the word servant and the idea disgusted me. In fact, when I was younger, it was a nasty word. I like the man who prayed and said, oh God, please use me, use me, Lord. But could you use me in an administrative capacity? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Pretty straight talk, isn't it? Jesus came to serve and to give himself a ransom for many. Now, once we came into the family of God through a faith in his son, God set about to create a building force to reach the world. You are that building force. I am the building force. God doesn't have another plan, by the way. You, me, all believers, it's our job. He gave us gifts to serve and gave us qualities revealed in his son. Matthew 20, 25 through 28 says, whoever wishes to become great among you, by the way, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man didn't come to to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow. The reason he came, to sacrifice for you and me, and to what? Give us gifts that we might be able to be a servant-like him. Now, here's the six points for today. We'll come back to them in a little later on. Spiritual gifts were given at the time of salvation and to be filled, uh, to fulfill God's calling in us. I think it's self-evident that God gave everybody a spiritual gift. Secondly, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Some have more than one. They're apportioned, the Bible says, by him. Do you know what your gift is? Do you know how to apply it? And as you grow older and you mature in the Lord, I believe that God gives more gifts because we're able to handle it. Because we've grown in him and he's worked some things out in our life. He blesses us with a sweeter and bigger doses of the fruit of his spirit as we walk in him, as we trust him, as we grow in him. We all recognize love, joy, peace, patience, faith, gentleness, kindness, self-control, all those we recognize. And he magnifies those as we mature in him. Not so that we look good and we impress people, but because you can impress people from a distance, but you impact them up close. You gotta get close to people in order to touch lives. Number three, our gifts are varied and fill different needs in the church body. Some gifts are more visible than others, but all are equally important. Nobody says anything much about kidneys during the day. They're hidden. Nobody sees them. But I tell you, if you don't take care of business, they'll bark at you. I didn't think much of a pancreas. Uh, maybe there may be a few people here don't even know what a pancreas is. But I spent 11 days in the hospital, and I found out what a pancreas is because my life pace count, was, which was supposed to be between 25 and 100, it was 1889, I had some problems. And um, it went into the second day and I didn't see much improvement. So my wife asked the doctor, she said, well, uh," she said, what's the next plan if this doesn't work? And he said, there isn't another plan. God doesn't have another plan. You and I are the plan. He wants us to use what he's given us to be a blessing to the body. Well, number four, God is a giver of every good and perfect gift. And he gives lavishly. He doesn't just uh, love us. He loves us lavishly. Have you ever experienced the goodness of God when you didn't deserve something and God gave it to you anyway? You had a bad wig or you did some things you shouldn't have done or you thought some thoughts you shouldn't have. You just didn't have a good attitude and God just turned around and blessed you. Man. I've experienced that a number of times in my life. He doesn't just dole out wisdom. He says he gives generously to all without finding fault. I love that. He's rich in kindness and tolerance and patience. His grace is exceedingly abundant, according to 1 Timothy 1, 14. And his grace is indescribable, 2 Corinthians 9, 14 and 15. His mercy endures forever. You can find that all over the Psalms. And his goodness and faithfulness and loving kindness. Do you remember the prodigal son? <laughs> he didn't get a lecture on his living conditions. What did he get? He got a banquet. Often that's the way God treats us. This is the way you live? I'm not giving you anything. He blesses us in spite of ourselves, often. When Jesus served the best wine. Did he condemn those because they didn't spend enough money to get some good wine? Or their poor planning because they ran out? He gave them the very best. God does that to us so often. That's why you can say, by the goodness and kindness of God, all men ought to come to repentance. There's a fifth thing. Spiritual gifts and talents are not given for our edification, but for the common gold. Remember the fence? Blocking all of that fruit. Drive by, it's impressive looking. If you get close enough, I can almost salivate as I see it. But you can't touch it and you can't use it and it falls to the ground, it's wasted. Given for a common goal. Can you imagine, say, a philharmonic orchestra and the string sections play an Amazing Grace and you go, wow, man, that's beautiful. But the brass over here, all the brass is playing when the saints come marching in. And you go over to the woodwind section, you know, there's playing grace greater than all my sin. And you go over here and you you get the, um, um, what's another group over there? Percussion instruments. And they're playing their deal. But then you got the drummer. Man, he's just knocking out a tune and he's just belting it out and everybody's going, ooh, dude, that, man, that is good. And they're all playing together. And you, what do you have? Chaos. Great people, great gifts, but not working together. The body was designed to work together for the benefit of everyone. For the common good. Number six, every gift given should bring glory to the one who freely and generously offered it. Glory to His name we sing. I had to pause when we were singing that. Is your life bringing glory to God? Are you trying to make yourself look good to others? What's the motive? Today, Lord, I want to live for you. Make my life count for your glory. In fact, there's a verse, Psalm 115, one says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give glory because of your mercy. Another translation, your loving kindness and truth. You, Lord. None of us worthy. We studied uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, and it says these things. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Trespassing, we rebel, we revolted against God, and trespassing the sins, sins we missed the mark. We tried and we still couldn't hit it. And because we were deceived by the evil one, we became disobedient. We became disobedient so much so that we are depraved, the Bible says, and finally we were doomed to the wrath of God. Paints a terrible pictures in verses one through four, but then when, as we heard preached from the, this pulpit, but God, who's rich in mercy, you remember that? Where would you be today if God hadn't stepped in, interjected himself into your life? But God, who's rich in mercy, well, young people, we have some young people in our church People like Kobe, who leads sometimes in the guest experience on Sunday morning. Raw recruit, but great humility and a willingness to learn. I don't know if you're in here, Kobe, but my hat's off to you. He's a young man in high school and, wow, willing to be used by God. We have many other young people incredibly young people. We've got Ariel and Bea and Jacob and Avery and Nigel and Thomas and Joseph and Jonah and probably a whole lot more. Young people. Serving the Lord already. Learning how to be a servant. I'm impressed by that. Then Paul leads us into a section that's been debated over the years. There's two major interpretations that we look at verses 8, 9, and 10. I'm going to give you the two, and I'm going to tell you my personal opinion. And uh, you can choose which one you like. Second point here today is this. Blessed by his triumph. Here's the verses. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also uh, who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, this passage, those who uh, believe this, refers to... Uh, Psalm 68, it's an important Old Testament image that has been applied to a New Testament context. And David in this psalm is calling God to rescue his people and to stand up for them like he's done in his past triumphs, especially during the time of the Exodus. And then in verses 8 through 14 of that chapter, Mount Sinai shook, the kings of the earth were scattered, and God set him up on the holy mountain to receive gifts from men. And he shows this picture as a reminding of God's triumph. After the crucifixion and resurrection, Christ led his people to freedom and ascended to victory. And he led captive, a host of captives, sitting believers with him spiritually in the heavens, according to Ephesians 2.6 that we talked about. And here's the verse that goes with that. And he raised us up with him and seated with us with him in the heavenly places. By the way, every child of God has dual citizenship. You're a child of heaven. You're a child of the kingdom. And you may be a child of the United States. You have dual citizenship. <laughs> I remember when I was in school and uh, somebody asked me, well, where are you from? And I said, well, I was born in Obomachan, Nigeria. And immediately they wanted to know, are you an African? My daughter believed it so much that when on her application, she put down that she was African. <laughs> they quick to help her understand she wasn't. Dual citizenship. He's given us things in the heavenly places. Though at one time we were enemies of God, he has brought us into his family through a reconciliation of Jesus Christ. Once we are bounded by sin and subject to the kingdom of Satan, we've been taken captive by Jesus Christ and now we're joint heirs in the kingdom of heaven. The mention of Jesus' ascension leads Paul to illuminate on the fact surrounding the victorious event he ascended which must mean that he also descended because you can't go up unless you're down. Well, where did he descend to and how far did he go is the real question. And those who believe in the Old Testament interpretation see his descent as becoming a a man, that he became a man, came down and took the human nature. And and this phrase of Philippians 2, 6 through 8, into the lower parts of the earth, they say that Paul pointed to the tomb in which Jesus is buried in the lowest part of the earth. And that he had an earthly physical spear in mind as he penned this thought. In other words, he's in heaven and he comes down to the lowest part of the earth and they say it was in the tomb where he died. And after the death and burial and resurrection, then he came out and he led the host that were in captivity, he led them out. I'm assuming they're referring to those who were who are in Hades, which is my second interpretation the one I like. There are others who refer to this as, a, as they look at a time between Christ's death on the cross, Jesus descending into the place of departed spirits, proclaiming victory over death unto the wicked spirits in bondage and leading Old Testament saints on a victorious ascent to heaven. Now, in Jewish times... The view of Jesus' descent into the spiritual realm was known as, the, known as Sheol, or Hades, between death and resurrection. It's extremely ancient and an enduring position of church history. In fact, the Apostles' Creed, recited by countless churches worldwide, state that Jesus is crucified, dead and buried, and he descended into Hades. Now 1 Peter three nineteen says, and he went down and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. In other words. He didn't go down to evangelize. That's not the word used because the Bible says it's appointed unto men, appointed unto men what? Wants to die and, and then the judgment. So it wasn't a good place of purgatory where you're working some things out or somebody's working some things out. No, they were waiting for death to be conquered. Jesus came and he proclaimed the good news. Death could not hold him. And now because of this, he took them home with him. I like that. He proclaimed the good news that death had been conquered, sins paid for, and he can shout out the fact, fact and he leads them out of, out of Sheol. Now, verse 10c says this as a result of his descent and ascent, nothing is hidden from him. Everything is subject to the Lord. Everything. Man, that may not look like it right now. You look around and you say, but How can God be in control? Well, God has a lot of grace, and he gives us grace. Aren't you glad? Suppose every time you started to do something, he said, eh, sorry. You're going to have to turn left. Ah, uh, you're going to have to go this way. You, you had no choices. They are all made for you. Now, I don't know how you grew up, but I had very little choices growing up. Everything was made for me. I played a violin for eight years. I hated it. And when I got out of high school, it was the last I saw of it. I played the piano for a number of years, still play it and enjoy it immensely. But we had, uh, we had Bible drills that we did every night. I won a Bible thing in California, represented California and glory at the Baptist Assembly and won the Master Swordsman. Uh, every night before you went to bed, you were doing Bible stuff. I had very little choices. Aren't you glad that God gives you choices? Now, it is true we need to make some wise decisions on those choices, but listen what it says here. In concerning God and he, what he, where he is and how he's in control, Psalm 139, 7 through 9, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and shield, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even in the darkness. It's not darkness to you, and the night is as bright as day, and darkness and light are all alike to you. <laughs> he completes all things. His power and control over the entirety of the universe, past, present, and future. He fills all things as a head of church. and At the same time, he fills the church body with every spiritual blessing of his spirit, and he gives bountiful grace and gifts for the building up of the church. You know, if you don't like the, the way things are at your church, don't curse the darkness light a candle. Get involved. Some of you have been, uh, years ago, you went to Carlsbad Cavern and they turn off the lights and I'm telling you, you put your hand right here and they gave you one minute to adjust, for your eyes to adjust. Your ni- eyes never adjust. You cannot see your hand that's that far from your face. What would it be better to do, curse the darkness or light a match? Get involved. Help the church become what it needs to be. Well, we've looked at the gift, gifted in unique ways. We're blessed by his triumph. Finally this. Since Jesus has given bounty for gifts, what's our response to him? He says some takeaways. Just a personal note of over 40 years in ministry. Almost in every church, 25% of the people do all the work. And the other 75% let them do it. And they're glad that they're so enthusiastic about it, but they don't get involved. And that's a shame. Can you imagine a family of four if the, if the wife and the son did all the work and the no count husband and the daughter, they played every day and had just had a good time and enjoyed it, say, boy, you guys are doing a good job, keep it up, mm, nice job, way to get those dishes done. Well, you really swept that floor up nice and ooh, good job. Ooh, yeah, you cleaned those toilets. Nice smells good in there. And never helped at all. A lot of times it's like that in the church. A few people are doing all the work. And the rest of them say, Well, that's a good job. We're a little proud of you. Well, be proud of yourself and get busy and get in the get in the game. Spiritual gifts were given for at time of salvation to be used to fulfill God's calling. Number two, every believer has at least one spiritual gift. Find out what it is and put it to use. You may have more than one. Hey, you may have some talents that you can use that are not spiritual gifts. Some of these guys got great musical talent. Suppose they played for themselves and, and you came and you sang a cappella every Sunday. You go, well, what's the purpose of them learning an instrument if they don't play it for somebody? Yeah, what's the purpose of your spiritual gift if you don't use it? Amen. You remember the story of the master who went away, and he gave uh, talents out to his servants, and he gave one ten talents, one five, and one one. A talent uh, uh, was about seventy-five pounds of gold, it was equivalent in two thousand eighteen to fourteen one thousand four hundred uh, one million four hundred dollars. Well, if you say that's ten talents, he had fourteen million. The guy had five, had seven million. The guy that what got one talent, one million, 400,000. Wow. When God comes back and he says to the servant with five talents, I mean, ten talents, he says, wow, you magnify. Well, well done. Good and faithful servant to the five. He said, called him to account. And he said, he said to him, wow, you've magnified it. You've got five more. Well done. Good and faithful servant. What did he say to the third one? Well, the third one said, well, I knew how you are. You know, you're kind of tough and uh, you know, so I hit it in the ground. Didn't even put it in the bank, hit it in the ground. You know what the Bible says, the, the Jesus referring to this story, here's what he said. You worthless, lazy slave. I gave you all of this and you hid it. You hid it. When I first read that, I had to read it two or three times. Did he say that? Because in my translation, when I read it way back in the day, it said, you wicked slave. I go, he can't mean that. He can't really mean that. Must be another translation Has something different on there. <laughs> Number three, our gifts are varied and, and fill different needs of the church body. Some gifts are more visible than others, but they're all equally important. We've talked about that, so I'm going to move on. God is the giver of every perfect gift. Can you imagine Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus is just this, a wee little man. He's spotted up in the, the sycamore tree, and he never imagined that Jesus would come looking for him. But this old pint-sized thief, you know, he's up there, and Jesus spots him and calls him down and says, I'm going to your house today. And to the chagrin and the regret of all the people around him, you're going to go to that thief's house, you know? But because Jesus did, he changed him. Changed him. He was never the same again. I mean, here's a guy who was loaded with illegal money, avoided and hated by his countrymen, and Jesus graced him that day. What happened to him? He gave half as he said he'd give half his possessions to the poor, pay back four times those he had cheated. He must have been really rich. What happened? I like the way one commerce tater said, he said this, grace walked in the front door and selfishness ran out the back. Wow, I like that. I like that. Number five, spiritual gifts were given not for our edification, but the common goal. We mentioned about the fence and all the fruit dying on the vine and nobody being able to eat it. What's the purpose of fruit if you can't eat it? Some people think this. Well, let's back up. Don't let your fruit rot. Don't let it rot. Number six. Your life should bring glory to God. So my question for me all this week, my question for you, this is your life bringing glory to God. Second Corinthians twelve nine, Paul writes, "My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." God speaking to him. You may not think that you have much to offer, but I'm telling you, you do. When we were in Brawley, California, way out in the middle of nowhere, some of you know where that is. (laughs) There was an older woman, she's long gone now, about 68 years old. She got married and and they had five kids and her husband ran off. She had a third grade education. So she had now take care of five kids with a third grade education. And uh, she used to say, I can't do anything. But I'm telling you, when greeting time came, People would line up to get a hug from her. When we did away with the greeting, because it got to be five and ten minutes, and we did away with the greeting, I had two people come to me and said, Could you please put that institute that again? That's the only hug I get all week. She always said she couldn't do anything. She was so vital. We have a store called The Junkateek, which our congregation port supports. I found out this week that you collectively, working through Junkateek, we gave $181,000 to missions. 181000 I was blown away. That's awesome. That's tremendous. We're helping people all over the world, and you're a part of it. There's at least 25 volunteers who participate from our church. Many of them are very older, are older people. Some of them in their 70s and some even in their 80s. Yeah. We have about five people that come from Teen Challenge, and they help. Some are pushing a broom. Some are stacking dishes or rearranging shelves and folding clothes and ironing. And some of them like me are putting labels on things and cleaning them all and put a label so somebody can sell it and put it in the the, the, uh, store. Serving in some capacity, knowing that we're sending out missionaries and our work is not in vain. As Christians, we do not automatically erase the presence of selfishness in our life. We fight the battle of pride. But God, who's rich in mercy, enables us. I came across this poem, it said this, not a getter, but a giver. Not one who holds a grudge, but a forgiver. Not one who keeps score, but a forgetter. Not a superstar, but a servant of the Lord. There's where we need to be. So what are you doing with God's gift that he's given to you? You building up the body of Christ? Are you busy building your own kingdom? i ask myself that question many times or you spend most of your time planning for maybe 90 years here on planet earth or the 90 quadrillion years that's as big as i can get up there quadrillion for eternity where's your focus 90 here or 90 quadrillion in eternity this gives us pause to think and reflect Service is a matter of the heart, not defined by age or skill. Let me sum it up for a point that was made in another message. It's time to get off the donkey and use your gifts that God's given you. Amen? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for the, today. Impress upon us our need to be kingdom builders. Open our eyes to areas of service. And Lord, give us courage to take a risk. Thank you for being so gracious and so patient and so loving and kind, kind to us. So merciful, we're blessed. Father, as the counselors and the elders come to the front, We want to give people an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't know what my spiritual gift is, but I'd like to know. Or they may say, you know, uh, uh, what ministries do I have that I could sign up for? Or Lord, uh, maybe today, Lord, you're calling somebody or someone's into full-time service. They may not know what it is, but they know that you have a call on their life. And they want to come and speak to one of the elders or counselors and say, I don't know what it is, but would you pray with me about it? Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for what you're going to do. Amen.